Welcome back to the show, everybody. I managed to catch one of the Curio Card co-founders onto the show. Um, they're all a little bit in hiding, but I'm here with Travis Urig, as I said, the co-founder and the guy that you'd seen in the uh, historical video of the Curio Card presentation down in San Francisco. So uh, I'm excited for this. I, I tried looking for it again. I actually created a historical NFT YouTube channel and YouTube just uh, nuked it and deleted it for some reason. So I was, yeah. try I was trying to find it before this, but, but, but I couldn't. But I have you here instead. So I think that's a, a great trade-off, Travis. So thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Are you referring to the, I think the presentation was at Reddit headquarters, I think is where they did that. Um, I, I, I didn't realize people have watched it <laughs> still. Mm -hmm. The old videos that people find are pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it adds a lot of context to to the history. You know, there there's words that you could say. We can interview all of the creators, but sometimes we need that uh, third person perspective, whether it's through the through a camera lens that's set up to record something, or through some some spectators that are there catching it. Right? Uh, yeah. One one I th one famous third person capture at a conference, I think is you during the, I think it's the rare AF festival where you're uh, yeah. questioning uh, Matt is, I don't know if it was Matt or John up there talking and you mentioned that you, that Kiro cards had preceded uh, crypto punks by, by a few months. Was that your voice? Yeah. I didn't know that existed. That recording, that was another, another the recent find. Um, the perspective thing you mentioned is interesting too. Cause like this, the the reddit video that clip uh these are from the uh even a different me you know this is the perspective of me back then um i i wasn't trying to uh bombshell the guy's presentation or anything i i had met them before and chatted and and they like they seemed really nice they're really nice to me um in the thing he asks the audience because it's just kind of the challenge of when you're saying you're the first project you don't there's no way to it's really hard to prove that because uh, there's there's the thing you don't know, right? Um, so he said in like the presentation, hey, let me know if you know of a project that that's old in the crypto punks. And so then I raised my hand during the Q and A part, and and I said, well, you know, Curio Cards was was a couple weeks earlier. Um, I had mentioned that because again, like this whole idea first wasn't really important back then. We were just doing stuff. It it wasn't really a thing that people even talked about. Um, he only really mentioned it towards the end of his presentation anyway, and. Yeah, so that's me on 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 camera saying that, and him kind of reacting um, in the moment because he recognized me from when we talked earlier, but I hadn't mentioned that. Um. Yeah, it's a it's truly a, an iconic moment, and that's been shared um, even just outside of Curio Cards with the the whole CryptoPunks claiming to be first and right, the proving to mm -hmm. that, proving that you know they knew about it or maybe they'd forgot or kind of uh, fibbed a little yeah. bit of the truth. Uh, so that's a moment that uh, has like air on the, I like the air on the side. They probably just, you know, forgot it was a one-off in a conference. Um, there were a lot of, a lot of reasons why that first claim uh, was, was brought down and not just curio. There are other people who have done NFT like things that predate the, uh, both of us. It's just sort of that, that where you draw the line, what kind of NFT are you interested in? Um, so I think they just wanted to get out of the business of trying to uh, defend that line. And I think that it's a business that, is hard to defend no matter if you're the f absolute first or you're the, the first in sort of once a small niche. I, I tried mm -hmm. to defend multiple projects um, over time being in the, the NFT history space since the rediscovery of Mooncats, but being in crypto since 2016. And at some point I've come to realize that 
yes, it's good to be very first, but there also needs to be some sort of cultural significance. And also within the token economy, you need to have a community that surrounds, right? You can, you mm -hmm. can stand on the hill and yell that you're the first, but if nobody likes you as the creator or, or, or nobody mm -hmm. uh, supports a project or finds it interesting, then it's not going to uh, increase in value from the social and financial uh, capital perspectives than, than you would like to see where, Kyo Cards, yes, is a first art project. Who knows? There could be some some sort of art project that pops up um, that's like some sort of hidden contract. But with seven artists and three co-founders, the community um, that's formed around Kyo Cards is uh, quite strong. Yeah, the the hidden contracts too, right? And and the the impact. It, it's I feel pretty confident at this point that Kyo is the first of its type of nft because people have combed the you know the smart contracts so thoroughly i mean it's a huge industry and it's a lot, a lot of money to finding the thing older and people put a lot of time and effort into it that doesn't mean there isn't that unverified solidity contract and ether scan that no one can read um but if no one can read it and no one ever can read it uh, it's yeah it really comes down to the discoverability as well the liquidity also like you're mentioning like the economics of it if you have a really cool nft project and you know you were out you know before ethereum even existed you know you were on the blockchain on ethereum blockchain but there's <laughs> only one of them and and you have it um kind of like who cares is sort of what happens um it's historically interesting and it's a footnote and it's something we should definitely would want to know about but if there's no community of of collectors of people who actually own and are part of it. You know, they went to the thing and they got the thing, they have the thing uh, that has a huge impact as well. Yeah, absolutely. There is a guest that I had on who found a project called beer coin, which was created by <laughs> Nick Johnson, who's the creator of ENS, but there's only like 60 mm -hmm. of them. And he was only managed to get man, the, the man or the person I had on the show only managed to get one of them and then Nick has other ones and some of them are lost. And so at that point, if there's only 60 total, it becomes more of a novelty and a collector's item. Then, then there's like a liquidity pool where you can uh, continue with the, the price action. Uh, mm -hmm. So I know there's been some recent um, interest in even older projects. I saw, uh, I'll pull the tweet up in a second. Uh, Brantley, one of the, the ENS guys, I uh, was talking about how there's a, there's like a, De secret society of uncovering um, these old token projects that no one even knows how to how to think about, and uh, there's all the, the this mystery behind it. Do you think um, most of these older projects that we'll just use Kuro cards uh, as a as a point in time? Do you think a lot of those that predate Kuro cards will be found, or do you think there will be more communities? Or if you look at the overall sector of historical nfts on eth do you think um we're, we're pretty established where we are now and then we kind of just need to move forward and whatever the next progression is my my instinct is we've probably found what there is to find uh the this last nft you know uh bull market was not a small thing uh this was not this it was you know jimmy fallon's talking about it you know it was like it was a it was huge and there were a lot of companies founded and a lot of a lot of money involved a lot of people made very rich very very fast who who had a financial huge financial incentive to find that older thing and things were found that really shouldn't qualify that kind of then got like the narrative changed about them like uh there was a project I'm blanking on the name, but it was like, it was like a greeter contract. It was like, you're like your intro to solidity contract. Like the first thing you do where you like, you put like 
a sentence into a smart contract, you know, and you put another sentence in. And so it's just like a bunch of sentences. And someone said, oh, if we like wrap the sentences as their own unique tokens and you can trade, it's an NFT project. And sure, you've turned it into an NFT, but the original contract was not an NFT. There was no intention of being an NFT, it did not behave like an NFT. There's no way to transfer the things. When you start seeing projects like that, I feel like we've, we've probably hit the bottom of the barrel. That's not to say there isn't a lot of historical opportunity. The thing that really interested me is like the lost Robbies and um, like a fifth or so, maybe even more or less of curio supply is in these things called zombie wallets. It's like the NFTs that we know about, we can look at them, we can point at them and say like, there is a huge stash of NFTs in this address. They're super rare um, or it's never been claimed. And someone's going to find those keys one day and watching those zombie wallets and seeing how that affects the, the market, um, I think is kind of where I'm interested in when looking at these old projects. There, there is um, a project that's gone through some, some similar progressions and a little farther ahead of, of Rare Pepe's. And uh, I've seen an interview where you said that you're kind of inspired by Rare Pepe's for Cure Cards and you want to bring it to Ethereum. We, mm-hmm. we, saw, we saw this happen last year where a wallet or an artist, because in Rare Pepe's, the artist got the entire supply and had to distribute it. So you'd find one token, we'll just use the arbitrary number, a hundred of these one Rare Pepe's of a series. There was only five that existed outside of this creator wallet. And so then they started trading like, you know, it's only out of four, out of five. And then the wallet wakes up and just completely obliterates that type of market. Yeah. Do you yeah. think, is there a likelihood of the of this happening? Has has you or the team been able to identify who those old owners may be and tried to reach in contact to kind of accelerate that process? There's been a lot of outreach from me calling up at everyone I can think of, as well as just people in the community doing a lot of research. Um, if you go on, we actually, uh, a website was just created by some of the community recently, ccsupply.xyz, like Curio Card Supply, CC Supply. And that's using a graph API that someone put together. And um, you can see on it the uh, inactive wallets. So by inactive or sometimes referred to as zombie wallets, these are for you know listeners who don't know, uh, like they bought Curio Cards in 2017 and then did nothing. You know, they just, they just sat there and it's like the Satoshi Nakamoto problem in Bitcoin where the early, you know, the creator of Bitcoin, no one knows who they are and they have a crap ton of Bitcoin that they've never touched. That's never been moved. They mined it and just sat there and like, are they dead? Are they alive? Do they still have the access to these keys? And if tomorrow uh, a single 0.1 of a coin owned by one of these Satoshi wallets traded, it would have massive impact on the price of Bitcoin. So people like, oh my God, these these coins exist. And people kind of assume they're burned right now. It's a ccsupply.xyz is the oh, website. XYZ, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know with even with some of the the rare or why is it not coming up? CC I know with some of these rare cards, um, if you do have even where is it down here? Uh, like card 26. So you have 95 active and then 26 inactive. If those 26 become a- active, that's literally 25% uh, mm-hmm. more of an addition to it, which can just completely obliterate uh, the price action. So solving that, mm-hmm. it, it's it's pretty vital. Um, I think this, is, this visualization is really important for that because if you're 
thinking about buying period cards and you want to know what the risk of inactivity is, this is a great place to start. Um, because you can see like some of them are extremely active uh, and red is burned. These are cards that w we know they can't be touched ever again. And yellow are ones that people treat them economically as burned, you know, like maybe they don't exist, like the market trades as if they don't exist. But as you say, they could show up at any time and have a huge impact. Um, the uh, wizard, the bard, the barbarian are examples of there's only like 45 of them that have that trade but there's 500 total. And so uh, there's hundreds of cards that are just people would kind of assume that they're burned because they're wildly valuable and they've never moved. And the wallets that own them are super inactive. So if you're like concerned about that risk, you'd stay away from those cards. You'd go for the ones that are like all green. Yeah, but then- Those are much more healthy markets. But then, but then on the other end, you have the number one card, Apples, which is very popular card where almost- half of the supply is inactive, but it, it mm -hmm. but the market definitely trades it. Like it doesn't matter. Like the, the market's only pricing in, uh, 1167 out of the 2154 that actually exist. So there, there are these like little discrepancies in the trading activity where people don't care. Maybe just because apples I'd is, it's, is, I'd say it's consistent. It's mm -hmm. consistent. They consistently don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, you look at any of these markets and cause like that, that green bar on apples, it is half full. Uh, it was worse when, when the product first came out, you know, there were even more of them. And then like, you know, a hundred would drop, you know, a wallet that hadn't been inactive would suddenly wake up and that bar has been going down. I mean, it don't, it only go down. Right. Um, and every time that happened, there had an impact on the price. People trade as if the yellow cards are inaccessible. It's really kind of the only way thing you can do when you're looking at a market with supply and demand. If it's not available supply, it, it like almost doesn't matter. If it becomes available supply, then you're gonna see an impact on the price. Yeah, it has a, it has a little bit different of, uh, of a trajectory. When you think of the fungible markets and you have like a, a locked supply of XYZ XYZ coin and uh, the VCs who invested after six months, the tokens are unlocked. And so for those first six months, it trades like those tokens don't exist. And then once it gets closer, maybe a month, month or half a month or two months, then people start selling and preparing for mm -hmm. what, what could be a dump. But then oftentimes that dump never comes. The, the collectors want to hold it because they don't want to either sell the low or they just have a uh, nostalgic tie to it because they've or, held on to it for lost, so long or they lost access. Mm -hmm. Um, the nice thing about this chart is if any activity happens, like if there's a wallet that owns a hundred apples that's been inactive since 2017 and they don't like even sell, they just wake up, right. They wrap a card or something like that. Uh, then it, it gets counted as active supply people because people know, okay, I know that even though they're not selling it, they can, like they have the keys. Uh, versus now you don't know it could be a lost wallet. It's really interesting if you look at some of these early wallets and you can figure out the list pretty easily um, by looking at supply. You look at what they were doing. Well, Curio cards came out right when ICOs were starting to explode, and that was sort of the the thing. Now, this this time around it was NFTs were the big story, right? 2017 ICO was the the three letter acronym that everyone was talking about on Jimmy Jimmy Fallon, etc. Uh, it was the huge thing, and People thought Curio Cards was an ICO, even though it has zero ICO-like qualities. People were just buying anything they could find. Uh, so you'll see a wallet that's full of valueless, worthless ICO tokens, and then some really valuable Curio Cards. And 
they probably just threw the wallet away. They're like, well, there's nothing of value here. I, I, the ICO market went to zero, uh, nothing worked. I'm out. And they just, and now they may not even realize that they had Kiryu cards in that wallet. Cause they just remember that was my ICO wallet. Right. It's, it's kind of similar to what, what Satoshi said way back in the day that, um, every coin lost is a, is a, a bonus to the holders because you've now increased uh, the existing supply versus like a, a dividend equally divided across everyone. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So there is a question um, that I wanted to ask where I've listened to a bunch of your interviews and I hadn't been able to find the answer. So there's seven artists of Kiro cards. There's three co-founders. Why didn't any of the co-founders or yourself specifically decide to submit some art into the first art collection on Ethereum at the time. Was there any specific reasoning or stipulations? No, there was no reason. Like there's no rule. I can speak to my personal reason. Um, my personal goal with curio cards was there was, I, I, so I started off in, in, I should back up a, a little bit for context. I started off in crypto through the kind of open source Linux world. Uh, I didn't really come in through like the collectibles economics world or like the finance world. Um, back then, you know, Bitcoin was more of a curiosity than like a global talked about news story. It wasn't, you couldn't find it on Bluebird or Forbes or anything. And, but I really loved open source software. I love the idea of public commons. Uh, you give your time and attention to something and that's something that you kind of collectively own with everybody else. So I would do a lot of uh, event organizing and volunteering. Uh, so I would do like these Linux install fests where people bring their laptops and I'd install, I'd show them how to install Linux. And somebody there mentioned the Bitcoin meetup group. So I would go and I'd volunteer at the Bitcoin meetup group because I thought it was really cool, open source money. And I started organizing the SF Bitcoin group. And I also organized the San Francisco Ethereum uh, group. And the... So that was like, that was my uh, platform to have an impact on the community was through this group. And there was one of the, like the major narrative at the time for why isn't Bitcoin wildly popular is it was called like the UI problem. Uh, you, so you've been in this for a while. You probably remember this, the, the idea that the only reason why anyone's using Bitcoin, the number one barrier to adoption is it's complicated and hard. And if we made it simple and easy, everyone would use Bitcoin. And like, that's, we just solve that. We solve everything. And that's pretty, pretty uh, compelling. Um, so the idea was, well, how can we make, you know, Bitcoin more, you know, usable, interesting, et cetera. And at one of my events, um, uh, this, this, this kind of, like, it was really just going, going to a bar and drinking. Uh, but at, at, at the event, uh, the artist, this artist came up, uh, crypto graffiti and he said, Hey, I make uh, crypto art. And I had never heard of that. Uh, it was like art about, about Bitcoin. And that was really, I had a conversation and it was really cool because if you look at any ecosystem, any kind of group of people doing anything, um, it's complicated. Like everything's complicated. Sports are complicated. Everything has rules, right? Everything's complicated. But no one's really complains about it because there are people in that community really good at explaining it. Uh, they they got songs and movies and you know um, just fun little pithy ways of saying things that work really really well. So, in my mind, Bitcoin needed artists. Like that's how you solve the UI problem. You get artists involved, you get writers, you get draw, you know, illustrators, you get any kind of creative person involved. So Curio Cards was kind of like an opportunity. And we did an art show like two years before, which kind of was, was starting that. It was the idea that here's how we can get artists involved in crypto who have never been involved in crypto before. And then they can make art 
and writings and poems and songs and whatever that explain crypto to people. So me being in curio cards would not have served that goal. I was already in Bitcoin. I was already at every event, standing up at front, introducing the speaker and answering questions at the end. Like, uh, there was no extra value, uh, with, with me entering the conversation. So I was trying to create a platform to get artists that had never done anything with crypto involved, as well as artists that were popular in crypto to kind of help anchor and attract attention to it. Off the top of your head, do you know uh, a vague number of how many submissions you'd received for the uh, 30 spots in terms of total art submissions and then the variation of, of artists? I wouldn't, I don't know off the top of my head. I do know that early on we had less than we needed early on. It was hard to find artists. So two years before we did an art show, it was a physical in-person art show uh, in San Francisco. And we had five artists um, displaying their artwork. And we of course asked all of them and all the ones interested in, you know, did curio cards as well. Uh, but we we're doing it on Ethereum for technical reasons. And a lot of them were pretty hardcore Bitcoin people. Um, you know, and it just wasn't their medium. They weren't digital artists. So we need to find digital artists who, you know, wanted to take a chance on this idea. And so it kind of was an open call. I go on podcasts and I'd be like, Bitcoin needs artists and Curio needs artists. Uh, reach out. Uh, I had a Google form that Daniel, uh, the artist for uh, the pencil drawings, uh, I think 24, 25, 26, um, he just filled out the Google form. Um, I mean, you've, you've interviewed him, you heard this story. It's a, it's a totally wild story. He has no idea where he saw the Google form, how he got the Google form. Uh, I asked him one time, like on a podcast, it was like a panel. And I said, like, why'd you do the form? He said, I like filling out forms. Like, that was his reason for doing it. And now he's a Christie's artist, you know, he's a Sotheby's artist. Um, and towards the end, we, we started getting a lot more attention uh, from artists and and actually had to kind of do a contest to figure out who would be the the artists going forward. But there just wasn't enough attention on the other side. We kind of solved the artist problem towards the end, like the last couple of cards. And they had plenty of artists, actually zero. Uh, X copy was one of the potential artists. Uh, he was like the next one in line. Um, but we didn't have the other side of the equation. Nobody cared. No one was buying them. There was no users. There wasn't that attention. And, we, and it just sort of, the market wasn't there yet for it. So we, um, we, we solved the artist problem, but we didn't solve the user problem. And that problem solved itself. We just had to wait. Right. Over time. So this, this then leads to like two interesting questions, but I'll start w with um, the, the artist one first. So you mentioned that the X copy was next and X copy has also verified this as well. And there could have been many other ones, artists who... Um, would have been a great fit for Kiro cards and then later found uh, success. Pet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. has, has there been any discussion of doing a, a second Kiro card drop or is there more of a, is there more of an importance on keeping the, the original collection intact instead of following something similar? We're starting seeing on Bitcoin with uh, fake rares to rare Pepe's and now they have faux SOGs, which is for spells of Genesis and these like, uh, additional companion drops, which kind of bridges now the the old kind of with the new and then the modernization. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a lot of conversation happened on it. Um, for some, so Curio's original intention was not to be an NFT project necessarily. Like it wasn't uh, your traditional 10K PFP where, you know, we're making this as the collection and here you go. Curio's intention was to be more like art blocks or OpenSea. It was a, it was a marketplace platform. It was a tool uh, where, you know, uh, Rhett Creighton, a co-founder, he created smart contracts because they didn't exist. 
And, you know, I made a website and, and Tom was doing marketing and, and we were just trying to essentially create a platform where if you're an artist and you want to put digital art on the blockchain, make it unique, rare and collectible for the first time ever, come to us and we will launch your, we will launch your art. We will do all the technical stuff. We'll pay the gas. You don't have to have any Ethereum or anything about Ethereum. We'll walk you through it, explain it, et cetera. We were like a very white glove version of uh, OpenSea um, was, was the idea. So that part to relaunch that part doesn't really make a lot of sense because that is a massive content moderation issue that is a huge that is a platform company and we have open we have foundation we have rareable we have art blocks we have you know super rare like the this is a huge this is a solved problem we were doing it when no one else was doing it and we're like we need this and you know check it's it's good you know i look at the market i'm like this this need has been solved so i'm very pleased with that to do more cards would be kind of like the idea of turning it into a nft project instead and continue it well then as an nft project its value is this is it's a historical project its value is this thing that ran in 2017 before anything else had these artists and these cards and it kind of has like a nice little completeness to it that's not to say that someone couldn't carry it on it's a public domain thing right i mean you wouldn't want to like abuse the you wouldn't want to say like we're curio cards right that's that's fraudulent right but as you said like the the faux sog and the the fake rares and things like that where they make enough of a change and they keep going uh also like the artists there are seven artists and they're all free agents to do whatever they want the art and and they've done remixes um robeck has sponsored artists to do remixes uh daniel's done remixes uh you know mayor salvangas max has done uh, remixes so there are actually cards past 30 uh newly created cards in the community we're actually putting together a website to kind of uh showcase them all in one place but you can also find them by just you know going on open sea and typing in curio remixes and that's kind of where the conversation's gone in terms of new art that's th yeah that makes sense i actually just had mm -hmm. on let's see is it this one let's see yeah so that was an artist that uh a friend of robex Robeck is one of the artists. He did the the bard. It's actually funny you picked the bard because the bard was based on me. Uh, it was the bard card really? And so this is yeah the 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 wizard is Matt uh, is is Tom. Um, the barbarian is Rhett, and the bard is me because uh, I was just doing a lot of podcasts at the time. And I guess in Robeck's mind, I was the one singing the song of Curio. And um, Rhett was the muscle, you know, making the solidity contracts. And since Tom was you know, the famous person on the team, he was mad Bitcoins it was a big time YouTube channel. Um, and he still does World Crypto Network, et cetera. Um, you know, he was he was like the, the magic, right? The marketing and, and, the, and the face as well. So um, that that was where he got the idea from. I, I don't know if I have the definition exactly right for why he gave us each archetype, but he was doing a lot with um, archetypes at the time. Um, yeah, so then, yeah, here's remix number mm -hmm. one. You could so see. there's another version of me, Tom, and Rhett. And then we have number three. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I just had on Rare Skrilla, um, who is kind of in the leader behind fake rares and is also uh, one of the the OG artists in Rare Pet Bays. And the founding of fake rares is had a very similar uh, beginning to Rare Pet Bays, where it kind of started out as a joke in a telegram. But he, mm -hmm. when he did fake rares, I definitely wanted to draw a, a distinction that, you know, these aren't rare Pepe's and that Pepe kind of transcends 
rare pepes and and just being minted on the blockchain because rare pepes the idea of rare pepes actually started i think in like 2011 on mm -hmm. reddit or some sometime around there so they've had to set some like ideological distinctions um saying that they're separate collections but part of an overall same kind of vision we're here it's a little bit different because instead of having pepe as the 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 foundation of the project here it was about like innovation and experimentation um which now has which has now helped these artists become um larger than any of their ex expectations could have could have you know ever dreamed so there's mm -hmm. definitely a different um route that you'd have to go to it but keeping the historical significance intact is important especially being at uh christie's and sotheby's which is known for for auctioning off historical artifacts yeah if you're I, I think i like thinking from the artist's perspective but more often than the collector's perspective so like if you're a comic book artist and you have the opportunity to do a superman comic like that's huge even though it's not your original creation to to, to reinterpret to have it to take a stab at it and some of like the best comics you know these these old golden age heroes have been kind of reinterpreted and reseen, and that gives that artist some notoriety, some fame, and then you notice the things that they have created on their own. So I think the idea with the remix as well is, you know, the one of our seven artists seeing an artist they really like and being like, hey, would you like to have like, would you like to put your spin on what I created as like a platform and also to add to the cultural heritage of Curio, right? Because that new Superman comic is still as valuable to Superman ecosystem as the old one, right? Uh, it's continuing the story. Uh, that's why I like the the bard uh, how, how it changes and all of them as well that that story changing yeah there, there's it, it's important it's important that you don't try to pretend to be the original because people are going to see through that and it's not going to go over well and it's just going to kind of hurt the the system there, there, there's so many part or components of uh, Kiro cards that um kind of are glossed over and uh one of them i'll talk about is a hot topic right now which is royalties uh, mm -hmm. As we see, royalties are kind of going back to how they originally started, which is at zero. Akira cards, from from what I've read and discussed, was implemented a one percent uh, artist creator royalty. Uh, Might have been the first or around the first. I know Dada. I know Dada did a, a marketplace royalty, but that wasn't until like October of 2017. Whereas. Hero cards, as you mentioned, it, it was a marketplace, but it was also a collection. There wasn't really like a complete direction of it. Uh, talk us through a little bit before we dive more into kind of what's happening now with royalties, uh, how the idea and implementation of a 1% artist royalty uh, came about within Curio cards. In terms of the 2017 Curio cards, it was 100% um, in terms of the sales. Uh, because like, again, my our goal was to get artists involved and start off as educational and, and we did want to turn into a business if it was successful um because then it could fund and make it make a nicer website and keep going um but the the intention was to feature artists and we thought that the way that the thing would make money would be kind of on secondary services you know to um you create an ecosystem and then you have a marketplace and there's a trading etc but just selling the artist's work that's the artist's work 
So we didn't, and, you know, Bitcoin's whole thing was like, hey, no credit card merchant fees, you know, uh, that was like the big, you know, hey, merchants add Bitcoin because of no fees. So if we then added a merchant fee, it just <laughs> didn't make ideological sense as well. So when you bought a card from Curio, those first 2000, um, it all went to the artist. Uh, we, you mentioned like how Rare Pepe's did it, you know, the card be created and they give, they give them all to the artists and then the artists could sell them. Uh, we kind of wanted to show off some automation and we wanted to make the artist's life a little bit easier. So instead of putting all the cards into the artist's wallet and then it's their problem, we put them into Redmate, something called a vending machine contract, which is sort of like the first mint function in a lot of ways. And the cards sat there and then you'd buy from the cards from there and then the artist can get the money once the cards sold out. Um, which was actually an issue because they didn't sell out right away. And, but in the fullness of time, the money has all made its way to the artists as they've sold out. Um, going forward though. So now it's 2021, uh, people found curio cards again. They really, really care about curio cards. They really want to trade them. They really want to use them. And curio cards is older than OpenSea. It's older than any NFT marketplace. It's older than, uh, uh, maybe Uniswap existed. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it did. I don't think um, it did either. Yeah, but Uniswap didn't exist. MetaMask was like in beta. <laughs> there wasn't even MetaMask. We had to actually fork web wallets and stuff to to get it to work. Um, so there's no way to trade these things. The the contract written, the token contract, is not compatible with any contemporary marketplace because they don't exist. There's no standard for it to follow. So the first major project we had to do as a community was uh, the wrapper. And this was to take the Curio card original token and put it inside a collectible sleeve, you know, uh, that um, you could, that then works on OpenSea. So we're make, we're making this wrapper, and we realize once we make the wrapper and we go on OpenSea and we get the blue check mark, mark, and you can now trade these cards. When you create a store in OpenSea, it asks you for a royal uh, for the they call it a fee. They don't even call it royalty; they call it a fee. Um, you have to put something in. Zero is a decision. Um, one is a decision. Ten is a decision. At the time, no one was doing royalties, really. It wasn't like a thing because it was all PFP projects. It was all like created by a group and they were, so all the money went to them. I guess in that case, it was all for the artists as well, right? Because it was their project. But we had this ensemble cast project where it's seven different artists with different communities and followings and careers, et cetera. So um, did a cardholder vote. Uh, it's actually kind of really cool. I think it's probably, I'm going to say first until somebody uh, says from the audience, otherwise the first um, governance vote with NFTs, you vote with your NFT, you vote with your card. We set up a snapshot page, it's the same tools you use to vote on like DeFi projects and things. And based on the rarity of the cards you had and how many of them you had, you had a certain voting power. And uh, we put a proposal. It was like, you know, 0% or like 1% or like two, there were like different options. And the one that I pushed for the most was keep it as simple as possible because there were a lot of competing narratives at the time. Uh, 1% seems like a nice simple number. And then it goes to an artist controlled multi-sig. So it's, it's their money, they can do whatever they want with it. So in that case, 100% of the 1% goes to the artists entirely. And that's the proposal that won by an enormous landslide. It was like 98% of cardholders voted in that direction. So now anytime you trade an open C and we've applied this, even though we said just open C in the vote, we kind of get, that's what people meant. We've applied that same rule to every other marketplace. The Curio cards has been added to 1% of all sales go to a multi-sig that I'm not in the multi-sig. It's just the artists and they split it equally amongst themselves. 
I, I think, Kirill, if I saw, it was about 50,000 overall ETH traded volume. So 1%, you're saying about 500 split seven ways. So, you know, it's still a significant amount of money. It's not anything mm -hmm. like you're seeing Yuga Labs making $150 million in a year because they had 5% royalties. But now we're seeing this trend where the early projects, Kiro Cards had a, a little bit of a different, but you saw like Mooncats and Larva Labs and, uh, and Kitties and a few of these CryptoCats, some of these other ones where it was essentially free. There was no market fee for it. It was, we want 0% royalties because we want to encourage trading and we want, mm -hmm. especially back in 2017, you just want people on your marketplace. You just want people yeah. playing around, toying with it. So you had to, you had to give a lot of sacrifices for them to, to we, come around. We paid, we paid the gas. I mean, we want no barriers of entry. Um, yeah. And, and now the, the royalties has got outrageous. I know at some point in, I think it was like 2020, a super rare, which is the, the artist essentially NFT marketplace installed like a 10% royalty for one of one arc or one of one work. And then the PFPs came out and it got so bloated that they start, some of these PFP projects with 10,000 started charging 10% royalties. And now we're seeing things like Pseudoswap or Luxray came in and lowered the fee. Then, then it was X2Y2 lowered the fee. Now we have Pseudoswap that's down to literally 0% uh, royal artist royalties and a 0.5% uh, platform fee. What are your perspectives on this? Because uh, when you look at Curio Cards, it's seven individual artists that you could say uh, deserve, you know, the super rare fee, but then also it could, it, it's kind of taken this way similar to a collection type, like you see with PFPs or with Mooncats mm -hmm. or some of these other ones. So you're kind of like in a catch 22 within Curio Cards, but what, what do you, what do you think is going to happen with, with the royalties? Is, is it eventually just going to go all back down to zero kind of how it started? And uh, what, what are your thoughts on it as being one of the pioneers um, in that space. And the, the royalties that you were mentioning are like platform, right? So mm -hmm. I think OpenSea takes 1.5%, I think. 2.5. 2.5, yeah, sorry, 2.5%. And then we're an, a percent on top of that. So the total fee is 3.5. And But the vast majority of that goes to OpenSea. Um, and that is something they can charge because of their popularity, their size, et cetera. They're essentially lack of competitors uh, is when that where that figure comes from. As you get more and more uh, competition, you know, there's, it's just going to chase that down, right? Um, till you have something like a Uniswap, there's no fee, I, I believe, right? Um, oh, there's like a small fee that goes to the LPs, right? But that fee doesn't go to Uniswap is what I mean. That fee goes to the people providing liquidity, uh, the people providing the thing. So I, I, I think these platforms are definitely going to trend that way. Uh, I don't think a platform like OpenSea is going to go that way because they're a business that is designed around the fee to fund them. And they're going to be able to reach markets that a Uniswap type thing is not going to be able to reach because they're very user-friendly. They can take credit cards, et cetera. But you're going to have those platforms. If you know just a tiny little bit about Ethereum, you're going to have that place you can go trade with no fee or a very small fee that goes to the people supplying liquidity, right? To make the thing work, the people putting cards and ETH into the pool or whatever. Um, on the curio card side of the fee, since the fee is so low, there's not really a, a big cry to remove it. And in that regard, we only have control over that fee when it's being sold on platforms that have a fee feature. Um, 
or respect like Manifold's royalty thing. So like Coin, uh, Coinbase's NFT market, you just they use whatever you've set on Manifold royalty, which is like a on-chain royalty index. Um, so there's that, there's OpenSea, there's Foundation, any place that kind of like lets us, you know, if we control the contract, um, set a fee, set, set a fee, and then we're just gonna apply the 1% rule. Um, Curio cards is though also treated like a collection, as you said. People treat it as this larger thing. And there's a community around the artists. There's a community, there's a Robeck community, and there's you know a Daniel community, but there's also a Curio Cards community. And the Curio Cards community needs certain things. It needs, you know, uh Discord, it needs medium posts, it needs uh that supply graph that you showed earlier. Um, it needs things that people need to do work for. So way it currently funds those things, these things won't just happen for free, was early on, uh people just donated a bunch of money to kind of a common pool because again, Cura cards as an, as a collection doesn't have a revenue source. Um, like that part doesn't have a res- revenue source. So people collected, uh, donated funds to a, the Curio DAO and anybody has a chance to get those funds. If they just show up and do work and you're voted on by your peers, like I don't manage the distribution of those funds. We use coordinate, which is another sort of DeFi governance tool. And, you know, if you make a supply website, and you're working with a couple of people for a couple months on it, you all kind of say like, hey, good work. And that gives you a portion of the distribution of that month. So that kind of like sort of self-manages itself. But eventually that, if it doesn't keep receiving donations as money goes out, like eventually that that might go away. So there's always going to be, there might be a conversation, kind of is a conversation right now around, do we add, there's the fee for the artists, do you also have a fee for the community? And it'd be really hard to change that, is kind of my instinct. to to do a, that cardholder vote to change the kind of purity of the artist royalty be extremely difficult. So I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's going to surprise anyone. I think you know, like you're like, oh wait, oh wow, Crew has, has a, a huge ten percent fee now. I'll go into the deck. Like that's not going to happen. Um, it's not impossible because it is at the end of the day, the cardholders are in charge. If they vote on it, it goes through. But I would even put another caveat on top of that. Even if the cardholders all voted on it, they may not have a right to that change because unlike a pfp project where hey we created the art the arts the community here you go this is an it's an ensemble project it's seven different artists with their own licensing their own rules i don't own any of that art they do some of them have put out very permissive public licenses and some of them haven't so you would i think that like a proposal like that would still require artist approval uh or new licensing being written around them protecting their intellectual property Right, because of the the varying degrees, it's essentially seven communities, or you could even say ten communities with the with the three co founders included. Right, I know you. I know there's people and who are the, fans of Travis and yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah, so eleven, right? And they're all different. At the very at the very least, eight, right? At the very bare minimum, there's the Curio, and then one for each artist. And then if there's if you wanted to add in uh, fans of other early people, then yeah, yeah, quite quite an interesting prospect uh, to say the least. So now so now. I've been talking about this kind of kind of a lot within the the historical NFT community. Um, now it's been a year and a half since the the rediscovery craze that happened of all these projects, and now communities have formed. And I think over the next year or two, we're going to see a handful of these historical NFT communities kind of break away and show themselves as the leaders. But in order for that, to, but in order for that to happen, the overall community of historical NFTs has to grow. And, and so I kind of wonder, like, what is next for our community to increase awareness, exposure, 
obviously price, um, everything else, the social awareness, everything that comes with it. Uh, is there is there anything that comes to mind um, as uh, Travis, you know, the the pioneer who who grew the first art collection um, or curated it from all these aspects that you're missing, you know, you're missing. I think you guys were like the first to use IPFS. So you had to solve the storage mm -hmm. problem. You had to solve the marketplace problem, the artist problem. Is there any glaring issues within the historical NFT community that you see are issues or things that they need to attack in order to, to grow the overall pie for all of us? Um, yeah, it just to respond to you. So there, yeah. Curio cards, we were the first ones to use IFPFS. We're the first persons to have to deal with a lot of this stuff, but that doesn't mean we'd have to deal with it now, right? Like I don't need to find new artists every week. We would release a new artists every week. I don't have to do that right now. I don't have to figure out the storage problem anymore. There are a lot of IPFS nodes hosting Curio cards. And even when Curio cards was uh, in the, the winter, you know, the bear market, you know, I had an IPFS node going, I, I kept the website going. Like there was a discord. It was still accessible. Like that's a bare minimum amount of effort that was needed. Um, uh, st there's still tech support available and now these communities are discovered and big and that's not going to be an issue anymore for them they have very active discord communities they don't need to find new artists they don't need to solve these technical problems again um the nft market itself i think is doing really well and that there are these really great platforms now if you're a new artist and you don't know anything about solidity you can launch your artwork but it's still not super easy to do to have like um to do something interesting right so like if you just want to make like uh an nft you know your image as a token you know OpenSea's got a wizard for that but if you want to have like your collection you know have interesting features you know like if you put these two nfts together it turns into that nft and uh and then these ones together do this and you know kind of that more interactivity and in that game uh you need to know some solidity or you need to find someone who knows solidity so it's not really answering your question about the historical part, but it is in the roundabout way in that I think that for historical, we just sort of, if the NFT market is popular, the historical market is popular um, because it's just, it's a part of what NFTs are. It's a part of that origin story. It's a part of that thing. And what a project can do, the best thing that they can do as historical is to just um, keep the lights on and, and, and be available for questions and do interviews and uh, have an active community and support your community and, treat the artists who were involved in the project really well and support each other and um, retweet each other, um, the different projects and just make sure people know who you are and know what the real historical projects are and the not real historical projects. There's always that sort of scam angle. I think in the long run that kind of washes itself out because it's a lot easier for the real one to continue to prove it's real. Whereas the scam one's just going to drop off. So just staying, staying engaged with the art community uh, uh, and paying attention to what's happening in NFTs is, is probably going to do it. Um, right. So sur survive exist and the historical community will grow as the overall pie grows. So the, the immediate issues and, is just and, NFT awareness. Yeah. And take advantage of new opportunities. So I've, I've heard people be very against the idea of fractionalizing art, for instance, right? Um, because, that just wasn't a thing that existed when NFTs first came out. The idea that you could take a big viable NFT, put it in a contract and break it up into lots of little pieces, tokens, and then, you know, people can have that, uh, be open to things like that. Cause that, if you have an NFT where the floor is like $20,000, you're not going to get new people in as easily. But if someone can take one of those tokens and break it into a hundred dollar 
tokens that that's suddenly achievable. People can get involved in your community. So value those people as first-class citizens in your community. Um, as we move to L2, you know, like the gas fees aren't really a problem right now because it's like things are kind of down. But I mean, if it costs 50 bucks to buy a curio card, um, that's a barrier. But if on an L2, it costs like nothing, um, then that's good. So, but you have to do so. We have to actively make that sort of push into L2. And we haven't done it yet because the L2 market is still so, so new. But at a certain point, Curio, the community, or Curio, the idea, or or some third-party person is going to have to figure out how to make an L2 wrapper or something. So, yeah, embrace those features that make NFTs easier to use and easier to get. Yeah, we'll have to check out. Uh, hopefully, Ponderware can uh, provide that solution as they have their multi-staking uh projection contract called jump port, which is going to allow the NFTs to be checked into multiple L2s at one time. So it's cool that we yeah, have uh, those kind of things that happen, but unfortunately, and this is in most historical communities, the, the price is, it's not as we'll call it dynamic as some of the newer NFTs, right? It stays pretty level within an area because it has to go through the distribution problem. We still have to get the awareness problem, the attentive problem. Right. There's a lot of kinks that still have to be worked out and it doesn't follow those mass hype cycles um, because it's the mass hype cycles have have, have already been gone. Right. And so mm-hmm. you have an underlying foundation of history. Uh, so, yeah, just I think you're, you're dead on of just sticking around and, and keeping the lights on. And uh, I think if you had turned the lights off, right, we might not be in this situation. Um, if you yeah, had, if, if you had not, if, if you had was... dropped the IPFS node during that entire time. Right. If when people were rediscovering curio cards, if they went on. And they couldn't see the contract. They couldn't see the website. They couldn't see the art. They would have no idea what it was. And maybe now someone would care enough to try to figure that out. But at the time, certainly not. And even now, that's like if the art's not there, the art's not there. Um, yeah. True. True pioneer. And uh, so then, <laughs> finally, before we do get out of here, what's what's the future for Travis? What, what what have you been up to? Are you taking on any new projects within crypto? Have you gone? to expand past crypto and now you're just more of a, uh, a curator for, for curio or an advocator. Uh, I don't hear much about what you do outside of it. I, uh, most of my time is that community side of curio. Um, I, there's kind of the same message, that same mission of making it easy to use and can you make it easy to use? So there's, you go on like documentation, docs.crew.cards. Uh, there's a lot of documentation, you know, this stuff doesn't just, this happen. Uh, there's, there's a lot of like people in the background kind of working to kind of carry on and expand and explain and help and um, what Curio is. And I'm, I'm involved in that. You asked earlier why I didn't submit art in Curio cards. That's also something that I'm interested in doing. So I, I'm starting to kind of make the jump to the uh, art world as well. I've always had a strong interest, obviously, in digital art. And I really like what NFTs do for, again, the, the perspective, right? You to watch the news a lot of times. It's what how NFTs affect collectors and what are NFTs for collectors? It's from the perspective of the collector. And I kind of don't care about that as much. Collectors will have their own reasons to be there. They'll figure that, they'll figure out that economics themselves. Because like you can still you can collect in many mediums, but as a digital artist, you can't sell. Like that's where the new thing is with NFTs. That's where the innovation is. That's what makes NFTs special. If you're a digital artist before NFTs, your work had no value practically because they're not unique. It's not special. It's a JPEG. So the power of NFTs to make digital art something that can be 
you know, supportive and, and you can grow and make just really amazing things really interests me. And especially also just interactivity that it allows. So I'm, I'm exploring that area as my, my next thing. Ooh, you guys heard that alpha here first. I don't know if you said that publicly, but if you made it this far, then uh, you know what to look out for in the future. So uh, Travis, thank you for sharing your time with us. Uh, truly, truly visionary and pioneer in the space. Glad to hear that you're still uh, helping keep the lights on and um, maybe even build new lights so that uh, care cards can shine a little brighter. So I uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening and watching. We'll catch you next time.